great economist John Maynard Keynes once wrote of the foolish things a man thinking alone can come temporarily to believe. Fortunately, I did not have to think alone. And neither do we. Welcome to Cetris Never Paribus, the history of economic thought podcast, where all other things are never equal. So today I'm 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 very happy to have Nestor Lovera with us from the University of Reims, Champagne-Ardennes. Um, Nestor, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Maria. Um, it's a pleasure for me. Uh, I'm from Venezuela. I decided to make my uh, postgraduate studies in France. I made my master's degree in economics in Lyon. And then I made my PhD uh, in economics in France. Uh, I obtained my PhD last year in November uh, 2022. Uh, my center of research is uh, Laboratoire Regard uh, at the University of France Champagne-Ardennes. And my thesis was about elucidating the role of value judgments in normative economics under the supervision of Cyril Edouin uh, and the co-supervision of Stéphane Luigieri. Well, so you're um, clearly a very international um, PhD student then and, and now researcher in France. How, how did you, where did you study your undergrad and, and what, how, um, what happened and what made you make that decision to make that quite big move to go to France to do your master's? Mm, okay, yes. Uh, my bachelor degrees, I obtained my bachelor degree in Venezuela in the, at the Universidad Central de Venezuela, that is a public university, and uh, is, I think, one of the best with another private university uh, regarding economics. And uh, uh, yeah, I decided to, uh, to come to France because first, uh, the, it was the master uh, degree that I like, that is a history of economic thought in at the University uh, Lumière Lyon 2. And uh, also um, there is a, a cultural, a, the cultural, uh, the culture of France. Uh, I think that this is one of the um, uh, most important things. Yeah, you wanted to experience France, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And so this is interesting. You, you So you really um, sought out to specialize in history of economics. Could you um, describe the moment or or the like kind of when you realized that this was, you know, because not most economists don't go into history of economics, right? Um, how, how, how did that, like what what happened in your path that got you there? Yes, well, I, I in fact, I, I work at in the Central Bank of Venezuela in the macroeconomics account. And uh, then I don't like this work, uh, but then uh, parallel to this work, I uh, um, started a master's degree in operational research, that it's totally different to history of economic thought, but it was a decision that I took with uh, my friends of uh, the bachelor's degree and it's, I think that it was not my decision. I mean, to to make this um, this master degree in in operational research, and I uh, didn't finish this master. And then uh, I realized that uh, 
um, during all my during my bachelor's degree, I uh, really uh, like history, history of uh, economics, uh, history of uh, uh, Venezuelan economics, and uh, for this reason, it's like a, it was a I mean. Mm, because I finished my bachelor's degree in 2012. And then, I mean, it was uh, four years. And in these four years, uh, I changed to history of economic thought. But it was like a change that I take uh, a little bit because uh, I didn't know uh, about my, my... When I finished my bachelor's degree, I didn't know really well uh, my what uh, I would like to do at this moment, and then uh, I realized that history of economics was for me uh, really important, and I really enjoy to do that. And for this reason, I, uh, yeah, I, I uh, choose history of economics. Yeah, yeah, and and for that reason, I mean, then France is a great place to be, right? We have a lot of historians of economics. All right, so then. How did you end up doing a PhD? So you've done this master's in in Lyon, and what what happened during that master's to persuade you to know continue studying history of economics and do a PhD? Yeah, this is a really good question because sometimes the academic world is not easy. And when I finished my master in in Lyon, uh, this this another moment that it, you know uh, I asked myself. What do I do now? I return to my country, or I'm looking for a job, or uh, continuing a doctoral program. And then, thanks to my master professors, um, and also to my desire to teach, the decision was easy, and I decided to continue uh, to do a doctorate. Uh, and in France, there are different ways to do uh, a doctorate. One of them is to get funding for three years. And um, to attain this scholarship, you must present an audition. The year that I applied uh, to Lyon, the competition was quite tough. And I was uh, put on a waiting list. And, you know, when you uh, finish in the waiting list, it's really difficult to um, uh, get a, a chance that someone uh, quit this way, this um, the position that this uh, person got. And indeed, no one quit. And a month later, thanks to a friend, I saw a thesis project at the University of France. And this time I got the scholarship. But it was, I mean, it was like a, in one month, I have to, I had to change uh, the subject because the project in Lyon was totally different of um, the project in France. Yeah. And the, the project in Lyon, was about an analysis of the importance of, uh, of the solo growth model, macroeconomics. And then in France, the project was about value judgment in normative economics. And uh, totally, I mean, it's uh, totally different because uh, the project in France uh, uh, was about philosophy of economics. And the project in, in Lyon was history of economic thought. And it was also a, really a challenge for me to change, like in one month, prepare two different projects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well done. <laughs> Sounds like a, <laughs> a really difficult thing to accomplish. And you did. Yeah. Um, so could you explain to us a little bit more in detail this, the subject of your thesis? 
Well, my thesis claims uh, that normative economics should be recognized as a science and that this status should be maintained and strengthened. For this reason, the aim of this uh, was to answer the following question. What is the role of value judgment in the study of normative economics? And uh, to answer this question, I proceed in three steps, and these three steps are my three chapters. In the first chapter, I address the research question from a general perspective by drawing a distinction between the value judgment of economists and the value judgment of economic agents. And this allowed me to analyze in the second chapter how economists study and characterize the value of freedom in relation to the value of um, uh, the value judgment of economic agents. And in this case, these value judgments are, are represented by the preferences of the economic agents. And um, I focus on analyzing the, the freedom of choice that an individual has over an opportunity set at a given moment. And uh, the study of the value of freedom leads me uh, in the third chapter to consider the importance of value judgment in the elaboration and interpretation of uh, normative economic periods. And specifically in Arrow's impossibility theorem, uh, given his importance in the history of normative economics. Throughout the study of these three chapters, I seek to show uh, that economists cannot dispense with value judgment in the study of normative economics. And uh, well, uh, I uh, and one is uh, the, one of the reasons that I I uh, chose Arrow is precisely because mm, sometimes and in the literature you can find that Arrow is an, a neutral economist, you know, because it's a lot of these options and conditions be, that he. Um, in his impossibility theorem. And for this reason, I, I, I chose this, this order because I mean, it's a way to show that, uh, and this is a, a subject of debate, but I mean, uh, and I chose Arrow because behind these options, I consider in my thesis that there are value judgments and that it is important uh, to, um, to study this, this, this subject. So can we just pause here for a second because I'm not sure all our listeners will understand okay. what, or know what Arrow's impossibility theorem is. So if you could, would you mind just um, explaining that to us quickly and then we can move on to this difference of value judgments. I, Arrow's impossibility theorem states that under certain conditions, and uh, well, I can mention the conditions, but it, uh, there are no, four conditions normally in the literature it is impossible to find a rational collective choice procedure that aggregates individual preference. And thus the only way to arrive at a coherent collective choice is to rely on a dictator. And this is uh, the, the in, I mean, really a resume of the Arrow's impossibility theorem. And uh, for Arrow, a dictator is an individual determines the outcome of the choice procedure, even if he finds himself alone against all. Arrow's dictator uh, does not necessarily exercise his authority uh, violently, and one can, be a uh, one can be a dictator without wishing to be, uh, or even knowing it. 
and well, uh, the, the 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 important kind of arrow result is that we cannot uh, aggregate individual preferences to uh, uh, find a collective choice, and this I mean that this is the most important result. Um, and the, the most important thing that we can retain about this impossibility theorem and the way that he, this affect um, uh, democracies, I mean, because this is that, this is about uh, the impossibility of, uh, for example, uh, the, the, to, to arrive to a, a collective choice uh, throughout uh, different voting, voting systems. Uh, that he sh he showed that about uh, regarding the the majority rule and uh, the border method and different voting systems that he tries before arrive to this impossibility uh, challenge. You cannot aggregate this pre this the individual preferences uh, because uh, the only way to do that is to arrive to a, a, someone that. Uh, have um, the power to decide for others. And, uh, well, the, the, even the, 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 all the conditions are, it, it's really, uh, are really strict also. Uh, one of the unrestricted domain condition, independence of irrelevant alternative condition, uh, Pareto principle, um, but another a non dictatorship and all these are the conditions. But the problem is that you take also into account um, uh, ordinal or ordinal preferences uh, and not cardinal preferences that are the uh, when you can uh, see um, uh, because cardinal preference about intensities the intensities of preference and we cannot uh, the, the uh, in Arrow, Arrow uh, considered that this kind of uh, preference are, the cardinal preference are totally um, unverifiable because it's about intensities. And the way to do that is to take into account uh, ordinal preferences without interpersonal comparisons uh, between, uh, uh, and in, in, when I say interpersonal comparisons, between individuals. Well, the other way that uh, arrows take into account value judgment is regarding interpersonal uh, comparison of utility. And, uh, if, and because he considers that, like I already said, that cardinal um, uh, preferences are uh, unverifiable because it's about intensity. And that- yeah, it's, it's getting a number on our preferences, right? It's like the intensity of our preference, exactly. how much we want something. Exactly. Rather than ordinal, which we don't measure that, we just we just say we prefer A to B exactly. and B to C, but we don't need, we, we can't measure how much we prefer these things. Exactly. You, you don't need to, to, to know uh, the intensity of your preferences regarding, I don't know, uh, chocolate and... Uh, uh, whatever you know, and uh, for this reason, uh, but and and the important thing is that there are ordinal references, but not uh, interpersonal comparisons in, in early uh, arrows work.
Then, uh, I mean, in one, when I talk about Ehrlich's Arrow Wars, if in, in 1951, and even in his uh, second edition of his book in 1963, then he tries to uh, uh, study more uh, the, the, the difference between, uh, or, or, yeah, research more about, and there are two papers that are important, uh, about these interpersonal comparisons and, and ordinal and, and cardinal preferences is the papers of 1977 uh, that when he uh, tried to explain what is the difference between uh, taking to, into account uh, ordinal uh, preference but making interpersonal comparisons. And this is the way that he tried to relax one of his conditions that that is independence of irrelevant alternative. Trying to uh, take, take into account interpersonal, compar interpersonal comparisons, but, uh, but with ordinal preferences. But because in, in, I think that in, in, the, in his whole career, he always rejects cardinal preference. This, this is a, a, a fact. I mean, this, this, uh, always in, in, in different interviews, he uh, and in different papers, also in all his work, he repeats that, and uh, I think that is important to say that. Yeah, but if he rejects that, I mean, what does that say about his value judgments? Or is it he could just be saying, "Look, I don't think we can measure these things." That's not a value judgment to me, is it? I mean, value judgment is like, do we want an authoritarian? leader or do we want a democratic leader i mean that that that's an example of a valid judgment for me rather than oh scientifically i know we can measure preferences mm. but i don't think we can measure them to the extent that we can have cardinal preferences however we can order our preferences what are arrows value judgments how is arrows i guess how is arrows impossibility theorem a good example a good case study for understanding how value judgments what role value judgments play in normative economics? Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, th this is a, a good question because uh, is I I focus uh, in the in the in the conditions and what is the value judgment behind the conditions, and that also uh, and I think with regarding inter um, the if you you the the, the arrows uh, choice about cardinal or uh, ordinal preferences is that he says uh, he said that uh, the this the cardinal uh, preferences are unverifiable because are uh, it's about intensities and he and and the, for me this is a value judgment because in this way he said this is not uh, this is not a good way to do i mean this is not and here is the for me this is the value judgment when uh, he uh, didn't uh, choose a cardinal preference, because then um, he uh, then, for example, uh, tried to relax the independence of irrelevant alternative condition, making interpersonal uh, cardinal comparisons. And you know, did, did this changed everything because you have more information uh, that allows you. Uh, to relate this, and if you uh, 
do that, according to Sand, you resolve the problem of the impossibility theorem. I, for this reason, I mean, this is what I um, call uh, value judgment regarding the interpersonal comparisons of utility in, in the case of, because it's different, like you uh, told me about uh, the, the conditions, uh, when you see behind the conditions, what means, for example, that uh, you can identify a condition uh, like this condition is about the rationality of the economic agents. And this other condition is about the autonomy of the economic agents. And when you identify the conditions regarding um, with the rationality or with the autonomy, for me, it is a value judgment. I mean, you, you identify uh, the conditions regarding ra rationality or the autonomy of the uh, economic agents. I don't know if, yeah. Arrow's dislike of cardinal preferences is a scientific value judgment in the sense that he's making a claim about what science is, right? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. right. So whereas when, if you're talking about a value judgment to do with whether you assume an economic agent is rational or not, that might be more a value judgment based on um, not epistemology, so not how we do science, but what is what what's the other word ontology but for more for me that's an ontological value judgment in the sense that we're we're, we're deciding what characteristics people have right and that, that's also a value judgment and i agree but they're, they're two different things right whether we're talking about what is yeah. science or what is uh, there are also the context i mean and there are the, the like the methodological value judgment that uh Tell Arrow, you know, to 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 arrive to his impossibility result, and uh, how the the cultural context and even the uh, the academic context, uh, it's important um, to obtain his his impossibility result, and this is a, 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 the kind of of uh, of value judgment that I or I also study. I mean, uh, and I call this judgment the methodological value judgment. That is the way that you, for example, um, when you uh, decide to study uh, whatever subject, in, like a researcher, you need. I mean, you need to to have different choices. What is your? Why it's interest for you, for example, study? Um, what for Arrow was interesting to study the voting systems. And uh, why for Arrow was interesting to, um, uh, to why he he uh, he decided to uh, choose this like uh, his dissertation subject, and uh, why this is, and this is uh, for me there are value judgment behind this choice, and I think that one of the things that is important to know it's that. Uh, the context, it's the, 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 the beginning of the Cold War. And the beginning of the Cold War uh, um, put in, in, you know, like um, a doubt in our democracies. And uh, I mean, and when I talk about our democracies, the, the, um, the Western world, I, I mean that it uh, played an, an, an important role because uh, Arrow is uh, really interesting in the, individual preferences. And individual preferences about what? About 
the consumer sovereignty of the individual. And this is the way to, to, to like, he, uh, uh, even if he arrive at an impossibility, because we, uh, the, 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 the theorem shows that it is not possible to aggregate um, the, the individual preference to arrive to a collective choice, uh, it's not like, a, uh, well, at that time was a really pessimistic result, but uh, behind all, all these, these, these results, there are the importance of, of the uh, consumer sovereignty. And I, I think that is, that it's a, a point that uh, is important to note and uh, to try to uh, know what is the, the, the context when Arrow uh, wrote his dissertation. Let's dig a little bit deeper on a more um, micro level here. You, you mentioned that in your first chapter, you distinguish between the value judgments of economists and the value judgments of economic agents. Yeah. Now, so what is this difference and why is this relevant here? Why was it important for you to do that in your thesis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my main motivation uh, to make these um, distinctions explicit uh, was when I started my research, I had the impression uh, that the distinction was implicit in welfare economics. I mean, and this did not allow us to see clearly how the economists took into account the value judgment of economic agents uh, to make their economic policy recommendations. And furthermore, I realized that authors such as Weber, Max Weber, and Myrdal made the distinction clearly when referring to uh, the social sciences, the social science, excuse me. For this reason, it seemed to me that it was the topic uh, that I would deal with in the first chapter of my thesis, and that therefore it would be the common thread of, of the TV is the distinction between uh, value judgment of economies and the value judgment of, of economic agents. And for this reason, then, this, I mean, for, uh, when I clarify this point in the first, in the first chapter, then I, I, I think, well, if I take a value, and in this guy, I, 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 I choose freedom, how economists study this value? I mean, in what way uh, they uh, decide to study this value? How economists measure freedom? And how they take into account the value judgment of economic agents? And in this case, our uh, preference, because I study specifically uh, preference-based approaches uh, to measure freedom in, in the second chapter. And this is the way that I, uh, I, I, I uh, made this distinction uh, important in, in, in the whole thesis. Then, uh, in the, in, and this is in the, in the third chapter, uh, I, I take an economist, Arrow, Kenneth Arrow, and what are uh, the value judgment of Arrow? And then, in, in, a, in, in, a, in um, a certain way, I think that Arrow take into account uh, the, the value judgment of economic agents when he tried to take into account how to aggregate individual preferences. And, you know, it's all, for this reason, I say that is a, the, the common tree of ho the whole thesis. And for this reason, I, I, I considered that it was the, the, uh, the, the, the subject of the first chapter. 
but what I'm seeing is like a two-directional thing, right? So the idea is that the arrow as a conscious economist tries to understand the value judgments of the economic agents, his his subjects, his objects of study, um, and 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 in tries to incorporate those in his practices as an economist, right? While he's theorizing. But at the same time, he has value judgments, and you you mentioned his context, Cold War, and so on, um, that will affect how he theorizes, right? So th- it's a two-way street. Yes, it's two ways. Yeah, you are right. I think that uh, there are two ways. And uh, I mean, yeah, because it's uh, his own, and for this reason, uh, in, it's important to take into account. I think that when, and this is a um, word that I'm, I, I used in my thesis, the um, uh, economists, qua economists, I mean, the economists like uh, 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 scientists and the and economists like a citizen. And uh, this is, I mean, this is different, two different roles of the, of the economists. And uh, you have the role as a, a scientist and you have to try to be uh, in a certain way, neutral, but uh, you can't take into account value judgment when you uh, make economies. And in this way, in 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 the, at this moment, you are a co-economist because you are you are making economies, economy. And when you are co-citizen, I mean, it's like uh, you, you are not in the role of the uh, scientist. And this this is a, a different that I. I take into account in, in, in my thesis uh, that I think that it is important. And for me, I mean, the, the, the economists have to try to um, keep in the role of co-economists, but take into account that you can make value judgments. But it's like you have to, uh, the economists have to be clear in his mind, on her mind, that uh, you can make value judgment, but uh, you have to try to continue to be neutral. Now, why did you just study? Why did you decide to study the value of freedom as opposed to some other value? Mm, yes, yes, I, I, I can say that. Yeah, I can say that uh, my youth was marked by a changing political, economic, and, and social environment in my country of origin, Venezuela. I speak specifically of Hugo Chavez coming to power in a democratic way in 1998. And Hugo Chavez was really inspired by uh, Venezuelan hero, Simon Bolivar. And Simon Bolivar was really um, concerned about uh, the peoples of, of Latin America and about the, 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 the even the, the uh, you know, to try to build like a you know European Union by but in Latin America and La Gran Colombia, and Chavez was really inspired about this um, uh, uh, this idea. And but it was it, it it's, it's totally different because uh, uh, obviously it's a different context. But uh, Chavez was inspired by the idea of um, that we have to be free of the U.S. imperialism. The United States imperialism. I mean, he he, he Chavez always talk about these these uh, imperialisms of the United States, and uh, and always this this war free. We have to be free of this 
uh, United uh, States imperialism was like a present in my mind. Then, however, opponents of, of his government always accused him of wanting to establish a, a totalitarian regime uh, for which they affirmed that they would fight for, for the freedom of the Venezuelan people. And uh, this contest, without any doubt, has an, an influence on my choice of the value of freedom. This, this, all this, uh, um, this environment of, uh, in, in Venezuela, and when, always I, I heard freedom is important, and, and um, uh, we have we we fight for for uh, freedom of expression, freedom of uh, you know, and. For this reason, I think that I I chose freedom uh, and not other value. Yeah. Finally, why did you choose Arrow's impossibility theorem as the main subject to analyze? Arrow's impossibility theorem is, uh, without any doubt, a seminal contribution to the development of modern social choice theory uh, and to the progress of normative economics. And since his, his, since his appearance in 1951. This impossibility theory has generated uh, an enormous interest because it shows that a group of intuitive conditions cannot be simultaneously satisfied by any social choice procedure. The most striking result of this impossibility theory is that only dictatorship will prevent inconsistencies. In other words, Arrow's theorem states that under center conditions, it is impossible to find a rational collective choice procedure that aggregates individual problems. Thus, the only way to arrive at a coherent collective choice is to, real, to, to rely on a dictator. And, uh, but beyond Arrow's result, I was interested in knowing how he arrived at his impossibility result. What was the cultural and academic context uh, that surrounded him? And what was Arrow's position regarding value judgment? in the case of his impossibility result. I think that the contribution of the chapter, uh, of the third chapter of my thesis is to show how Arrow's value judgment play an essential role in his methodological choice. Furthermore, I show that behind each action, it's of his theory that I, well, I already um, touched this, this subject. Um, how uh, behind each option of his theorem, value judgment are used when I will consider it necessary. This year is quite significant for Kenneth Arrow's book, right? It's the second edition um, of his book, Social Choice and Individual Values, um, celebrates 60 years um, from its first publication. So could you talk a little bit about the difference with this first edition compared to the second? Yes, yes, of course, yeah. It is important to say that the first edition of the book is from 1951 and is the result of Arrow's PhD thesis. Uh, and when he decided that uh, his dissertation topic was social choice, uh, there was nobody working on it at the time. Social choice theory didn't exist. Arrow was at the origin of the field of research. And well, regarding the second edition of the book, in his edition, Arrow added an additional chapter with notes of uh, the theory of social choice. Of social choice. The end of these notes is to discuss a number of debates which his work has generated since 1950, 
one. But not only, imagine that Arrow made a mistake in the proof of his impossibility theorem and he corrected in, uh, it in, his, in this edition. And I think that the important thing of this note is that he uh, tried to explain um, uh, what first he, he started with a, a historical part that like uh, he, he recognized that, um, for example, when he started uh, to, 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 uh, to work in his uh, dissertation subject, he didn't know the Condorcet paradox, for example, or the Borda methods. And he arrived by, by himself to this, uh, the same result of Condorcet paradox, but he didn't know at the moment when, when he started in 1951 uh, that it, uh, the same result was obtained by Condorcet. In, and the other part is all the discussion that he uh, has, he had uh, with uh, Berson and Samuelson a little about if uh, social, his result uh, is part or not of welfare economics. And this is really an important subject. I mean, this is a, there are a lot of work about it and a, a lot of work about uh, the social welfare function of, Ar of uh, Arrow and the social welfare function of Burson and Samuelson. And uh, uh, then another important point is that Arrow in this part uh, tried to, to see uh, or to, yeah, to see uh, how uh, propose a solution to, to this impossibility theorem. What is the solution? What, what condition uh, um, I need to relax? And I think that this is the first time that he proposed in a, to, and he asked that independence of irrelevant alternative condition is straight. Um, all right. So my final question for you today, Nestor, is um, since the uh, finishing your PhD last year, what have you been working on? Well, I decided to create a podcast in, in French uh, about, uh, well, it's about uh, the, 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 what, what in French? This is the first subject. What in uh, 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 a podcast in French? Because I realized that um, we have podcasts of history of economic thought in English, like yours, and also uh, another one about uh, Marchanet myth in a bar or something like that that it's a really good podcast, both. But uh, I think, well, maybe in French, it, uh, it can worse. And uh, the podcast is in history of economic thought and also philosophy of, econ uh, um, uh, philosophy of economics. And uh, the, the subject, the first subject of this podcast is about the second edition of social choice and individual values, because, well, it wasn't like a pretext to to or excuse to 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 be to start with the podcast and about the um, and and I and uh, I I already uh, make um, two episodes and I in the editing part of of the first episode that is not an easy uh, work like you know. And uh, my guests um, are, uh, the first one was uh, uh, Cyril Edouane, my supervisor, Antoinette Beaujard, that is a, a full professor like uh, in, in the Saint-Étienne University, 
And uh, then I'm going, uh, the other guests are Radegger's Hane, that he was in the jury of my thesis, and Marc Florvet also uh, was uh, in the jury of my thesis. And they, this, this subject I know that is really important for, for them. And now, yeah, um, I'm going to uh, this summer uh, to Duke University in the Center for the History of uh, Political Economic. And there I'm going to work about the transition between new world for economics and social choice theory. That are two important branches of normative economics. And uh, the study of, of um, this transition uh, is important to, to analyze the progress in, in normative economics. And I think that in order to study uh, what is the, the evolution from new world for economics to social choice theory, uh, it may be useful to begin by analyzing the different debates within new welfare economy itself. Uh, that is to make a diagnosis of the intra-theoretic progress, and this is when I talk about intra-theoretic, is the progress of different variants of the same theory. I mean, different variants of new welfare economics. And uh, the intra-theoretic analysis will allow me to understand the role played by the value judgment of economists in the debates between the two schools of new welfare economics, and how these debates will later be important to understand the inter-theoretic progress. And when I talk about inter-theoretic progress, it's from one form of normative economics to another point. I mean, from uh, the evolution of new welfare economics to social choice theory. This is the inter-theoretic uh, progress. And I think that the collection in the uh, Rubenstein Library in, in, at Duke University can be valuable, uh, a valuable sources of information to carry out my research project. I'm going to work with the archives of um, Arrow, Bommel, Chipman, Gorman, Samuelson, and uh, Chitotsky. I think that uh, this will be essential to determine the role of value judgment of these economics in the uh, intra-theoretic progress of new welfare economics and in the transition from new welfare economics to social choice theory. And this is the, my project in Duke, and um, I'm really excited to, to start this summer and to, to try to continue with all these uh, really passionate uh, subjects for me. And then, so we'll have to stay tuned for this podcast, this French podcast on history of economics, l'histoire de la France économique. Yes, yes. I think well, I think that the I'm planning to the next subject is about uh, the feminist economy. I wish you all the best of luck with this new project at Duke and the podcast. Thank and you so much. You. Yeah, it was also appreciate for me to to share with you about my research and about my project. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode enough to come back for more. The featured music is called Knowing Nothing by Mid-Air Machine and our intro features Paul Krugman at his Nobel Prize banquet speech in 2008. Thank you to Nobel Media AB for giving us the permission to use the audio. Check out our website cetrusneverparabus.net for more information. Follow us on Twitter cetrusnparabus and listen to more episodes on iTunes or your favourite podcast app.